Welcome to Common Ground with Bill Walton, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. What should politics be about, but isn't? One of my guests today, Ralph Binko, wrote recently in Forbes about the Declaration of Independence and its claim that the pursuit of happiness is an inalienable right. For most people today, the word happiness conjures up pleasant, positive emotions and having needs satisfied, whereas in 1776, the common meaning was prosperity, thriving, well-being. Today, this pursuit of happiness has nearly dropped out of our political discourse. Politics has become largely an exercise in misery and devolved into mostly into a fight over property and what constitutes justice, rather than a spirited competition for the pursuit of happiness. This is a great pity. Yet, we have had among us a politician who did fight for the pursuit of happiness, Jack Kemp. Jack, who died in 2009, would have been 82 today, July 13th. Our politics sorely miss him. Jack was also a legendary professional football quarterback who believed that sports were a microcosm of our society and our competitive way of life, and that the spirit of competition leads to productivity and human flourishing. But to him, sports were not about rugged individualism. Sports require cooperation and collaboration. Both the weak and the strong can succeed. We are lifted up not only by our own efforts, but by the inspiration and help we receive from the highest achievers. With us today to talk about what Jack Kemp meant to American politics and also what we can do to reset our political compass toward the pursuit of happiness are Jack's son, Jimmy Kemp, and the distinguished original thinker, Ralph Binko. Jimmy Kemp is president of the Jack Kemp Foundation, the managing partner of Kemp Partners, a strategic consulting firm based in Washington, and the founding board chairman for the Hope Community Charter School. The Jack Kemp Foundation's mission is to develop, engage, and recognize exceptional leaders who champion the American idea, beginning with the premise that the condition of your birth should not determine the outcome of your life. Jimmy played eight seasons as a quarterback in the Canadian Football League, retiring in 2001 from the Toronto Argonauts. Jimmy, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Ralph Finko, my frequent guest, is the author of the Webster's Dictionary, How to Use the Web to Transform the World, and also the 21st Century Gold Standard for Prosperity, Security, and Liberty. Among his many endeavors, he's editor-in-chief of the Supply Side blog, a weekly contributor to Forge.com, and is the president of the Alinsky Center. He served in the Reagan White House and was a principal agent in the George W. Bush's administration Human Trafficking Victim Rescue Project. Ralph, welcome back. Thank you so much, Bill. Jimmy, tell us a bit about Jack. Well, as you said, uh, today, July 13th, is uh, my dad's birthday. He was born in 1935 in Los Angeles, California, uh, to Paul and Francis Kemp. My dad was the third of four Kemp boys and uh, grew up in a rambunctious household where sports uh, was the language that was spoken. The other language that was spoken was entrepreneurship. Uh, my dad's father, my grandfather, Paul Kemp, 
started an audaciously named company uh, that was a delivery service, which started with one motorcycle. He and his brother... Uh, small packages, I presume. Small packages, <laughs> they had one motorcycle, and they called it the California Delivery Service okay. <laughs> in Los Angeles. That's pretty audacious. They grew, they grew in, in, during the course of my dad's uh, you know, formative years. They grew to have about 10 trucks uh, and about that many drivers. Uh, my dad's one of his summer jobs was uh, was driving a truck, and and the story goes that uh, on one of his final days of work, he was backing up a truck and backed it right up into the client's brick warehouse, and that was the the last time that he drove a truck. <laughs> it was time he was requested to go take up football, or correct? I, I, I believe so. Um, so, my dad would have been 82 today. He passed away, as you said, in 2009. And uh, he's inspired so many people, Bill, certainly uh, myself and my three siblings, um, who he loved very well, always encouraging us to be a leader. We never left the house when dad was there without him saying, hey, be a leader. Hmm. Um, he was a great encourager uh, for each of us. But as the president of the Jack Kemp Foundation, it's very common for people to come up to me and say, Jimmy, I just have to tell you, your dad helped get me into politics. He's the reason why I wanted to go into public service. Um, both he, he made it a positive rather than a negative. And, and so what, the way we describe it is that dad practiced the politics of optimism. He yeah. was eternally optimistic. Um, and that fits perfectly with the founder's intent for this country um, that there are inalienable rights, as you're talking about, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, and when you think of our political climate today, I don't think that we should be so discouraged. Is it bad? Does it get ugly? Yes, it does. Have we had an unprecedented uh, election? Yes, we have. <clears throat> but that's not unique in our history. And when you look around the world at the uh, political situations that people have been in, we still have an incredible opportunity, and there are a lot of exciting opportunities on the horizon. And we need political leaders who can stand up and say what is possible and remind people that there's common ground, as you talk about in the name of this show, mm -hmm. there's common ground where people can come together and really make progress on issues um, that have a huge impact on people's ability to flourish. Ralph, you've written about, you're writing about this as we speak, about uh, the pursuit of happiness, human flourishing, uh, and, and what Jack, Jack Kemp meant to it. Uh, Share your thoughts. Yeah, well, <clears throat> in my uh, uh, column at Forbes.com today, it's, it's all about happy birthday, Jack Kemp. Uh, Thank you. The man who transformed the world. And uh, you can just uh, Google Ralph Benko, Jack Kemp, happy birthday, and it'll pop up. <laughs> uh, what I point out, getting sort of here, here as I am perched on the precipice of eternity, I remember more things than many upcoming young tigers. Uh and I go into the backstory, which I won't do here, but Jack Kemp persuaded Ronald Reagan to run on a what was considered to be a radical, a heretical by the Green Eye Shade Republicans and a, uh, and a nutty uh, idea by the neo-Keynesian Democrats of strengthening the dollar, stabilizing the dollar, restoring the dollar to high integrity, which we knew how to do, but Jimmy Carter couldn't figure it out, and cutting marginal tax rates across the board for everyone by 30%. Uh, and uh, what people fail to remember is 
after Kemp handed this off to Reagan, who agreed to put this as part of his policy. And then shortly after Reagan, or shortly around that time, Reagan announced for president in November of 1979. The Dow Jones Industrial Average on that day was 814. No missing commas. It's now over 21,000. The world wealth, the world GDP, was $11 trillion. It's now, according to the World Bank, $75 trillion. That didn't happen by accident. We were facing a world of poverty and misery and an America with a, with a uh, misery index over 20 20%. Misery index being what? Inflation plus unemployment? Inflation yeah. plus unemployment and another couple of variables. Yeah. It was worse than it is today. And as much as Bill Buckley liked to uh, brag that the National Review was about standing athwart history yelling stop, yeah. Jack Kemp was talking about taking history in his hands and, and saying start. He was an outlier. And I refer to him in the column as the whole Wizard of Oz package. <laughs> Brains, heart, and courage. He took this soggy system and he redirected it 180 degrees from misery to prosperity and human flourishing. And he, I, he's never gotten enough credit. That's not, a, that's not a problem for him. It's a problem for us because there's an example there to follow. So what were, the, what were the predicates? The taxes? You also had a tremendous optimism about including everybody. I mean, yes. it was not just, I think there's this view that we've got uh, the elites in America now and then everybody else. And yeah. I think that would not be his view. I mean, it's, it's not, not just the 1%, but there's an elite, a, set of, a group of elites that are the issue that are both Republican and Democrat. Well, that's why tax reform is so important. Getting a, a simple tax code um, that doesn't privilege uh, the wealthy and people who can figure out, can hire the advisors to guide them to make the right decisions. <clears throat> Dad was always in favor of a simple tax code, um, and you have many people who believe in that that view um, in our leadership yeah, today. Yeah, the, the the tax code is manifestly biased towards people with resources who can figure out how to work it. Absolutely, and, and leaves uh, everybody else out. And the class warfare approach on on this issue is is wrong. And the goal is not to cut taxes for the wealthy. The goal is to get to the, the right tax rate that maximizes the dynamic energy of people, regardless of what socioeconomic status they're in, because the tax code should uh, unleash the greatest capital that anybody has, the ideas that they have to serve others. Um, and that's, th that's where uh, free enterprise is so powerful and our, our founding fathers understood it, and, uh, and I agree, Ralph, that my dad was uh, a unique person who had a radical idea. But remember that the word radical means getting back to the foundation, to the principles. Um, and, and, and that's why I agree and, and like your use of the word uh, radical. But um, I think all of this is important, and when you talk about human flourishing, 
that's also a, a really important part of it. So what, what are the predicates of pursuit of happiness, Ralph, or what are the elements? I mean, and how does that apply to 2017 and where we are? I mean, what would we do if we wanted to set a pol set of policy initiatives that would uh, bring that about? I, I have my... I have a few favorites, but I'm not really all that interested in that. My, my favorite is Jack. My first favorite is Jack Kemp's unfinished sympathy, the classical gold standard. The Mundell Laffer hypothesis, which was his playbook, was mostly about restoring good money, high quality, high integrity monetary policy, with a reference, with a powerful reference to the gold standard. He introduced the gold standard act of 1984. That said. We have new problems today. His, the problems that he solved were stagflation. He laid out the blueprint for how to end inflation, which Volcker followed, and how to unleash growth, uh, uh, and how to cut the top tax rate from 70%, ultimately down to 28%, which was dramatic. I'm more interested in finding new leadership right now. Yes, the gold standard, and yes, the Lausen plan to solve the uh, unfunded um, uh, public employee uh, pension crisis, and yes, John Tamney's talent trumps taxes, and yes, Senator Lee's social capital. Yes, there are plenty of good ideas out there, but there's no, there's no leader, there's no one right now who has stepped forward like Jack Kemp to say, we are going to figure out, based upon what's tried and true, how to get economic growth to 4% because that is the game changer. So I, like Diogenes and his lantern in search of an honest man, I'm in search of the next Kemp, the person who will take a stand, an unshakable stand, an unstoppable stand for general equitable prosperity. Without a quarterback, Bill, it doesn't matter how great your playbook is, you don't have a team and a team needs to build around a quarterback. I am looking for the next Kemp. Jimmy, any uh, any any suggestions for Ralph? <laughs> who this uh, quarterback might be as a quarterback yourself? And uh, yeah, well, well look, I, th uh, I think you're talking about a policy quarterback or a political, a political quarterback. quarterback. Okay, good. All right, it, it can be a congressman. It doesn't have to be. Jack yeah. Kemp was a backbencher congressman. He wasn't yeah. on the right committees. He didn't and, have great senior effect. Jimmy, you should talk about that. Well, it, it's it's an interesting point because, um, look, governing is is challenging. President Trump is running up against all sorts of headwinds, not only uh, the ones that are constantly in the in the press about Russia and the other things, but he's got these huge challenges around health care, uh, tax policy. There's welfare reform, um, and and obviously we have a, a new era in foreign policy with the war on terror um, that has uh, been a, a, fourth, uh, a really huge challenge since 9-11. Um, the, the thing that Dad did was from the backbenches, from the minority of Congress, he charted a course that brought Democrats and Republicans, but Dad really wanted to win people on the other side of the aisle. Yeah, talk about how he worked with, with the Democrats. Well, uh, you know, his it, it didn't matter whether you were a Republican or a Democrat. And back then, remember, in the 70s, when my father was in Congress, um, members moved to where their job was. Um, so I was born in Buffalo in 1971. My father was elected in 1970. 
they moved to Bethesda, Maryland, which is where I grew up. And other members moved their families here. And yes, they went back to the district, the members did. <clears throat> but Sam Nunn's Democratic <clears throat> senator from Georgia, his family grew up down the block. And there would be discussions uh, at barbecues in people's backyards, at, uh, the, in our dining room, uh, there were discussions about policies and the guy or woman wasn't a Democrat. They were a fellow politician. And dad wanted to, to convince them of his perspective. And today, part of the reason that doesn't exist is because in 94, when the Republicans took control of Congress, they won on an anti-Washington message. Um, and that was, that's not a long-term strategy. They told their new members <clears throat> to keep the family in the district, come to D.C. for three or four days a week, and then go back to your district. And uh, Speaker Gingrich and Leader DeLay, that was part of the way that they were going to keep discipline in the caucus. Um, and I, I, I think it hurt. So by overall. running against Washington, they destroyed Washington? I, I think that, I mean, that's interesting. Look, I don't think that's Washington an interesting was destroyed, idea. But I think it had but a really negative impact. you get congressmen living on cots rather than uh, Which is not socializing healthy. with each other it's and getting to know each other. It's not human flourishing, is it, Bill? No, no, no. Talk <laughs> not, about, my, not my view. Talk about your understanding of human flourishing and, 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 and your work on it starts that. starts out with a cot in my office that's on Capitol Hill <laughs> <laughs> and eating cold pizza for oh, breakfast. How's that? Yeah. So you think that culture is, you know, that's one of the cultural shifts in Washington you've seen as somebody growing up in the family business or oh, in the, oh, certainly uh, today, you know, families don't get to know each other. Um, and, yeah. and, and when they walk the halls of Congress, there's not that personal relationship where, you know, they were either having a drink or a meal with the family and they could talk about that before talking about issues on which they disagreed at the Jack Kemp foundation. We, our main program area is called the Kemp forum. Uh, we want it to be a debate and discussion series, providing a platform for the civil competition of ideas. And we do need more civility. Um, we need more ideas. Uh, we need people who are want not just to build uh, agreement within their own party. We want people who want to convince and win folks who right now are on the other side. Is Kemp Forum an event or is it a process or is so it a... The Kemp Forum is, uh, we do have a process that we've designed. We kind of have a long-term plan that we're building up to. Good. But what we've had recently are uh, a bunch of Kemp Forum events. Um, we cover economic policy, foreign policy, and importantly, and you alluded to this earlier, equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about economic growth right. without helping people understand that true economic growth comes when there is equality of opportunity. And my dad understood that from his sports background. And one of the most powerful uh, narratives that had an impact on him was the parable of the Good Shepherd, who left the 99 to go find the lost lamb. And in this country, if we're willing to write off a percentage of the people, then that is that's damaging to the soul of this nation. <clears throat> and our better angels call us to go find those people, give them equality of opportunity. And so we do a lot of events specifically in DC, uh, but also helping conservatives and liberals talk about how to fight poverty in a way yeah. that actually and that's so important. We had, we had a guy who wrote off 47 percent. That did, that didn't work out too well if, for him. If I can just interrupt you for sure. a second. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, Jack, Kemp inspired me into politics. He was the force that shanghaied me into this life. 
I'm still deciding I'm whether sorry, to forgive Rob. him. I'm sorry, what, was your, what was your alternative path? <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to imagine. Yeah, uh, but, he kept you off the tennis tour. <laughs> but after Jack, after Jack left public service, after he left Congress, after he left uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and became a beloved party elder statesman, okay, we supply siders, we proud, we few, we 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 uh, we we, we uh, Michiganers. Used to just shake our heads because we could never get him out of retirement. He'd gone back to the private sector and the and the think tank sector and so forth. But any time any African American asked him to do something for their organization, to be there, he did it. He walked the walk. This was not rhetoric. Right? We have a lot of Republicans talk about the need for outreach or messaging or what. Only, only in the election year. Only right, every two or four years, right? Yeah. Jack Kemp lived by this code. Yeah. Okay. He played football with African Americans, and they became a band of brothers. And he, I, rem I remember a story. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The team was traveling somewhere, and they said, "Okay, well, your black players have to stay here." It was in New Orleans. New, New, okay, you tell the story because yeah. you know. Okay. The black players get to play here, you get to stay at this hotel out at the fringe of town, and you guys all get to stay in this hotel. And Jack Kemp said, no. Well, actually, that, so the black guys didn't like it. Led by Cookie Gilchrist, who was an all-star running back for the Buffalo Bills in the 60s, um, and this was an all-star team for the American Football League in 1964 playing in New Orleans. They go down to New Orleans, they're in separate hotels, and the final straw was actually uh, a cab driver uh, who Cookie hailed, and uh, and he said, "Hey, this is this is not a colored cab." And Cookie said, "I don't care what color the cab is. <laughs> I just want to get to the club." And uh, and so that that was one of the final straws. And that night, the black guys got together and they said, "Hey, we don't want to play. We don't want to play in New Orleans. This they've separated us by hotel, and we can't get a cab to the club." Right. Um, and they told the white guys, they said, "Hey, we're, we're going to bail." And Dad agreed with some other guys who said, "You know what? We're not. We're, we're going to support this, and we're going to tell the uh, the commissioner that we're not going to play the game." The commissioner then moved the game to Houston. Um, but that was a formative experience because Dad grew up in California, and uh, I, I, I want to give Speaker Ryan credit here because after he was a part of Romney Ryan in 2012 and lost, he one of the most inspiring parts of the campaign was when he did outreach uh, to African-Americans. And we helped put together an, an event in Cleveland um, where he did a backstage roundtable with a bunch of community leaders uh, who were working on drug addiction issues and helping people get out of poverty, which is hard, you know, person-to-person -person work. And after they lost the election, he called me up and said, Jimmy, I want you and Bob Woodson from the Center for Neighborhood Enterprise to set up a listening tour for me. Mm -hmm. and. It wasn't just an election year. He did that, and uh, and he does truly care about uh, equality of opportunity um, and addressing the racial challenges so, that we have. Uh, Jack Kemp had a had an empowerment uh, zone uh, enterprise uh, inter zone. enterprise enterprise zone, zone yeah. and President which, which is which is empowered which is no, empowerment. No, no, no. Could so have been. This this is important to understand. Enterprise zones. Were remember there were redlined areas that banks would have in cities, and sure. they'd say you can't lend here. Don't lend here. This is a bad, bad investment, right? So there were literally red lines on maps that banks had, and 
that became known. And my dad and uh, a Democrat, Bob Garcia from New York, um, they came up with this enterprise zone idea where they looked at the red lines on these maps and said, what if we turn these red lines into green lines and we zeroed out the capital gains tax for any, any company, any investment firm that wants to go in and invest in a business in, inside this line, zero no out taxes. the capital gains tax. No property taxes, no income tax, nothing. Right. And okay. zero it out and then see what happens. Let the market work. Mm -hmm. Let's get money in there. Um, and there's no tax coming out of that, so you're not going to lose revenue. And, uh, and, and you're going to create um, owners. You're going to create employees. And uh, so it never got passed, although the bill was introduced. Um, President Clinton smartly, politically, co-opted a conservative growth idea, and he created tax credits for those green lines. But tax credits operate differently than zeroing out uh, the capital gains tax. And there are, it's the government picking winners and losers. It can work. It what's, did have a positive What's the impact. difference? Well, a tax credit is if, if you go in and invest in a business inside this uh, depressed area, then we will give you a tax credit, um, and, uh, but you have to meet these certain criteria, mm -hmm. right? So the okay. new market tax credit is, is an example. Um, there's low-income housing tax credits. And those can get bundled and sold on the market. But again, tax credits are beneficiary. They, they benefit the wealthy who have the ability to already do this as opposed to really getting the money to the people who uh, have the ideas for businesses. I've got a guy in Southeast D.C., Ron Moten, who uh, is working with uh, inner city kids on helping them develop businesses. And, and he needs capital. He needs people who are interested in investing. Um, but that's, that was the idea. So, uh, but a lot of people think that empowerment zones was, was, uh, Kemp's idea. Dad always bristled. What do you that. think, what do you think he'd be taking up today? I mean, the landscape's very different. We don't yeah. have inflation. Well, look, we I, don't, you know, it's, it's, uh, know. our misery index, although people still can, aren't can feeling that happy. Interrupt that let me, question? No, let me, let me answer the question, Ralph. The misery <laughs> index down, like, what's in inflation? 2%? <laughs> Yes, and well, unemployment less, technically yeah. is four percent. Right, so yeah. we somehow don't have that same. Well, I've stipulated to that. I said the circumstances are, are presenting problems are different. They're stagnation. Okay, now it's your turn. It's your right. turn, Ralph. Well, I just wanted to. Steve <laughs> destroyed my moment. You know, thank you very much because Jimmy just opened the door to a, a very important other factor. Okay, I want to keep that door open. Keep okay? going. Yeah, and that is, uh, Kemp was selected by. George H.W. Bush to become his Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Right. Right. Yeah. Which he didn't want to take, by the way. Yeah. But that's another story. But he but he had heart. So I remember reading the New York Times story of the interview when he was a newly fledged HUD secretary. Okay. And one of the striking factors is Jack had not one, but two busts of Abraham Lincoln in his office. Yes. And I wanted to bring this back to the GOP was created it's the party of lincoln yes it was created by abraham lincoln to abolish slavery to to oppose slavery it is the party of human dignity in its origin and to me it was just a fascinating story that that jimmy was telling before we went on the air about how the kemp foundation did a kemp forum at what jimmy called abraham lincoln's camp david and i just wanted to 
open the door to that for a minute so that he could tell, because there's this profound spiritual, I'm going to use the word and un, yeah. unflinchingly, connection between Lincoln and Kemp. And the Kemp Foundation channeled that at an event that was really very yeah. fascinating. Well, it, and, and look, all of us have have flaws, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to that right here after I tell the HUD story, because when my dad was named HUD secretary by President H.W. Bush, he had just lost the primary to H.W. He ran in the uh, prim mm -hmm. Republican primary in 88, lost to not only H.W. Bush, uh, but to Pat Robertson, uh, Pete DuPont, um, Bob Dole, and a bunch of others. Um, he was really discouraged. He believed that he was... Not, not many supply-siders in that bunch. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, he believed that he was the heir to the Reagan legacy, and and he really wanted to be president of the United States. When he lost, and President H.W. Bush, who had called supply-side economics voodoo economics, um, won and <clears throat> was asked to become HUD secretary, my father's aspiration was to be treasury secretary. Mm. Um, that's where he, he wanted to He would have been a good one. And he was talking to my mother and said, I don't, I don't want to be HUD secretary. And to my mom's credit, she said, Jack, if you don't take this job, then all the urban opportunities, economic growth for all, all of that part of your career will be forgotten. This is your opportunity. Mm. And so dad became a HUD secretary who had his own economic policy, his own foreign policy. He got um, teased about this by <laughs> Jim Baker. But Jim Baker, Jim chief Baker of staff, like said, that. you're the only HUD secretary that has, <laughs> in addition to having a housing policy, has an economic policy and a foreign policy. Yeah. I get the first two, the foreign policy we need to get. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's that another joke, story. Yeah, but but um, so at the Kemp Foundation, we wanted to carry forward dad's uh, political optimism. And you're right, Ralph. The Lincoln Cottage here in Northeast D.C. Um, is a place that we chose as a, a venue. Would you describe what it is? It's where President Lincoln uh, went during the summer because the White House wasn't air-conditioned. Where is it in D.C. right now? Uh, it's up North Capitol Street um, in Northeast D.C. And it's called, many people know it as the Old Soldier's Home. And so it's just, a veterans... a, just a couple miles from the White House. Yeah, so. yeah it's two, two or three miles from yeah. the White House, just yeah. north of Catholic University. Sure. Um, and uh, Beautiful campus, there's, by the way. there's a cottage there where the Lincolns lived and it's been restored by the Park Service and they rent it out. So we rented out Lincoln's bedroom where he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation and we had a Kemp Forum on the future of the American idea. Um, and we did it at Lincoln Cottage because the roots of the Republican Party are, as Ralph talked about, and Republicans have got to do a better job reaching out to all sorts of minorities. Um, blacks, Latinos, Asians, uh, this country is e pluribus unum, out of many one. And dad's background in football especially, it taught him what teamwork is and how you are to go after the people who haven't been included and bring them in. Um, and, and so you've, you've got to address that first before you talk about, um, you know, budget issues. Uh, you can solve Jack Kemp issues. once said, nobody cares how much you know. So they know how much you care. Bingo. Heart, brains, heart, and courage. Yeah. So this, this is one of the things that drives me. I won't 
I don't know what it drives me to exactly, but you know, <laughs> I th we we think we've got good policies that are su supply side policies. We think we know how to drive economy. We think we can get to four percent growth, yeah. and we think it's good for all people. Yes, and yet it's characterized as something just the opposite, as something just for the rich and only for the, the you know the few that uh, in the early in the elites. How do you take that message and? translated into something that's uh, resonating with ordinary people, because you're right, we're, we're not doing a good job. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think we all agree you've got to go into places where Republicans haven't gone. You need to be in the inner cities. You need to be in rural areas and give President Trump, he, when he, give President Trump credit, when he was campaigning, he was opening up conversations with people who hadn't been engaged. Um, and that is what Republicans need to do. There's a there's a lesson to be learned there and going out and talking to people about the challenges that they face, that they see on a daily basis um, and providing hope. Um, Maybe that's happening in the in the in the state houses more than it's happening in Congress, because when I look at Congress, I look at a bunch of lawyers and legislatures that don't know anything about economic growth and optimism or a couple for a handful. They're yeah. they're. I mean, I, I, that's a sweeping generalization, no, but I mean, it, 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 it's, largely. It's right, but I want to contextualize it, okay? okay. The, Congress is a reactive body. If, think of it as a big banjo, okay? They get played, and I mean that in the positive sense, not in the snarky sense. It requ there, were, there were two members of Congress who, more than anybody else, transformed the world in my lifetime. One was Jack Kemp. Before Jack Kemp started selling his model of lower marginal tax rates and a and 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 a higher integrity dollar, a dollar as good as gold, eighty percent of the world lived in dire poverty. It's now ten percent. The world economy has blossomed, but only after Jack Kemp said, "Don't do it that way. We know you're well intended. It just doesn't work. Do it this way." There was a, just as, and not just in the United States. I mean, it was massive in the United States, although we kind of lost the thread about 17 years ago and have been wandering around outside of the Kemp model. And the economy has been growing at only half of its historic trend rate. And that's when George W. Bush became that's president. That includes George W. Bush yeah. and extends it through Barack Obama. If the economy was growing at Jack Kemp rates instead of George W. Bush, Barack Obama rates, we would all be somewhere between 30 and 50% richer. Well, let me now, push on that. Through though. Compound I mean, interest. I mean you, you're equating supply side tax policy with all this growth or lack of growth. I mean, certainly there are yes, other factors. With all of the growth. The supply side, uh, supply side policies correlate brilliantly with 4% growth. We've been going through 1.5% or 2% growth for 17 years. I call it the little dark age, as we've deviated <laughs> from those policies, as we left them. George W. Bush wanted to do it his way. He did. We got boom, we got bust, we got boom, we got bust. And then we got this long, ultra-slow punk recovery under Obama. When you add it all up, the uh, our income, your income, my income, and the national income is somewhere between 30% and 50% lower than it would be if things had grown okay, on Okay, well, these are, these are all... I'm inclined... You know, I'm 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 basically a business guy. I'm looking for a line of action. Right here we are in 2017. Yes. Okay, we've got 17 years of catastrophic policy. What do you, What are the three things you'd put in place to bring about what uh, 
it would be a leading us toward the Valhalla of economic growth. Yeah. Well, look, economic determinism is not the end-all, be-all. But if you don't have economic growth, Bill, as we all know, if you don't have economic growth, you can't solve a lot of the challenges that we face. And you our, can't pay for any of the programs that people you, want. You can't pay for And our demographics don't look great, no. right? Um, but the innovations that we see uh, coming from the private sector, the technological innovations, um, are they're incredible. And the potential for growth is, is there. Um, but there are some real challenges. So we have got to get people back to a culture of aspiration. I think one of the main problems, my wife and I have four boys, and we want to see a culture of aspiration return to this country where it, it, it seems that there's more of a culture of expectation. Where my four children, boy, I'm really working to get them to aspire to accomplish things instead of sitting on their devices. Uh, it's a broad generalization, and there is a lot that can be done on devices, but I want them thinking about all the things that are possible, not just the latest social media of what their friends are doing, right? So um, I think it's important that there's a cultural understanding that in this country, in our education system, uh, where we need free, free enterprise, free market forces at work, delivering training people to, for the jobs of the future, not the jobs of the past, um, and, and we need to be a, a country that embraces people with capacity, right? We, we need to be the engine for the world. Um, and so, first of all, we've got to get our tax policy right. Um, and, and it's not easy to do. Uh, but you've got to get our tax policy right. Um, certainly, trade policy is important. Tax policy right means low flat tax for across the board. I wouldn't say a flat tax across the board because you do get into the Warren Buffett problem where you're taxing Warren Buffett at a lower tax rate than his secretary. So a flat tax has some challenges to it. We think that there are solutions. Um, John Mueller, an economist who uh, Ralph and I are friends with. Used to be Jack's chief economist when uh, Jack was head of the conference. John in, has a proposal called the fair and simple tax um, that taxes labor capital and investment uh, capital at the same rate. Um, I think it's a great idea that's worth uh, discussion, and we, ha we haven't had a lot of success, to Ralph's point, we haven't had a lot of success on the Hill um, getting that into the conversation. Um, but it's a critical point to understand that labor capital and investment capital are preferred by, labor capital is preferred by the Democrats, so when they're in control, they advantage labor capital. Right, so we're, so we're, talking, labor. we're talking wages versus capital gains and capital gains? Yeah, and the, yeah. There, it should be equalized, yeah. uh, but you don't want Warren Buffett paying a lower tax rate. Uh, so tax, having a sound, stable... Well, um, that's dollar, that's a good point. talking point, but you know that Berkshire Hathaway has had a tax plan in place for the last 40, 50 years that he paid no taxes at all. Bill, look, I, I hate to be the skunk <laughs> of the bar garden party on taxes, okay, because I know all Republicans doctrinally want to cut taxes, tax rates, okay. There's a big difference between cutting tax rates and cutting taxes, for one thing. You can actually raise taxes by cutting rates. But we are the victim of our own success here. Thanks to Jack Kemp, the top marginal tax rate has come down from 70 to 39.6. Mm -hmm. He actually brought it all the way down to 28, but then Clinton popped it up to 39.6. I wish it was still at 28. But the fact is, there is a the the most they're talking about on Capitol Hill is bringing it from thirty nine point six to thirty five. 
there is a difference. That's not going to make any difference. There's a difference, right? That that's, is not going to that's 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 supercharge gonna make a the economy. Well, let me let me just throw something back at you guys because we talk about rates. You know, part of my job in the transition, helping with Trump putting together action plans for the agencies, was to talk to the people at the Internal Revenue Service, and we all have our own, own personal and personal thoughts about the IRS. And I, I love, I personally, I love them in case you're watching. In case you're watching. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I'll say even more. I was in, I, I visited with all the top people and they're lovely people. Yes. And I, I said, okay, so what would be the one thing that we could do that would, that would, you think the tax side could, could do to stimulate growth and to make the IRS a better, better player in, in American life. And they said, simplify the tax code. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time they say something gets thrown in that's a, some new good idea from Congress, it throws them in a paroxysm, cha- paroxysm change. Could you pronounce that word for me, Ralph? Paroxysm. Paroxysm. Thank you. I know you could. <laughs> um, and when we're talking about rates. I think we ought to be talking about the whole tax code. Yes. Because that's the thing that's really unfair. That, yeah. I'm sorry. That is not the secret sauce now. <laughs> I, I know we all love it. Okay, Ralph, we've got okay. four minutes left. What's the, the secret sauce? The secret sauce is, <laughs> okay. in, in, my secret sauce is to make the dollar as good as gold. Okay. Okay. That said... Isn't what, there some horrifying statistic that when Nixon took the dollar off of the gold standard in 1974... Medium family some, income went from this yeah, to this. For those that are not top, watching, what, listening, the, the growth rate dropped from 3 or 4% percent went to flatline. Flatline. And, and we've seen family income flatline for 50 years. Medium family years, income flat, which years. had been growing steadily and in accord with the wealthy, yeah. went flat and has never, it has never consistently recovered. And the income of the rich people took off like a hockey stick. Yeah. August 15th, 1971. You could look it up. So your big thing is getting back to the gold standard. And the, and the statistics are there. And I mean, the if you look at are there, the... But, uh, that, but that's not why I'm here. Okay. Okay. I'm here to talk about the pursuit of happiness and human flourishing. <laughs> that was the gold and, standard. And, and <laughs> that's, that's just like tax reform. That's an instrumentality. For people to grow year after year, Einstein famously never said the most powerful force in the universe is compound interest. He didn't say that. That's what I said. Einstein famously never said (laughs) the most powerful force in the universe is is compound interest. If we're growing, if all of us are growing at 4% a year instead of 1.5% a year, we double our... our, our I wealth. The, I think the numbers our, are, our, if you're growing at 4%, you can double your household wealth in about 15 years. Right. If you're growing at 1.5%, it takes 75 years. Right. Or so, something, some so ridiculous... You, uh, so you can double your household yeah. worth in yeah. three times during your life at right. 4%, three to four times instead right. of right. less than one. Right. But the, the point that I, I am most passionate about, Bill, is we need the next Kemp. None of this happens spontaneously. There's an old saying in politics, spontaneous as arson. There are plenty of good ideas. What we need is a new quarterback to pull them all together, to focus the team, to make the to force the GOP, as Jack Kemp did, to talk about the pursuit of happiness, which means human flourishing, which means equitable prosperity. We can pull together the half a dozen best ideas. In fact, maybe there should be a Kemp Forum on it as to how to get to 4% economic growth that are innovative, not retreads of tax and regulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 that too. Okay. But among other things, we have a new generation 
that needs to take power. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're the old Bolsheviks here. We live through this. Well, maybe maybe you are. This <laughs> we live through the supply side. Uh, the I'm, the supply old, side I'm the old Robert Baron or something. Like that. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, we live through the '70s, which were much worse than today. And thanks to the political leadership of Jack Kemp, yeah, we turned it around and we spread worldwide prosperity. But we're old and tired now, and we need you know young bucks like Jimmy Kemp to be stepping to the fore and saying, uh, what, did, what is it your father said? He was in a football game and- In, in a huddle? In a, in a huddle, and he said, let's get this over with. Oh. And, went on to, <laughs> and went on to win the game and I think the championship. One of the important things I think, Bill, is <clears throat> yes, there's a, there's a right policy mix. I do want to get in that the unfinished business of supply side economics is getting to a sound dollar. Um, and that discussion hasn't happened enough. It's interesting that there's a, a potential new nominee. To is the a sound thing. dollar the same thing as the gold standard? Well, I, I think there are probably a few, uh, there are different ways to get there, to yeah. get to a sound dollar. And I, but I think the conversation needs to happen. Um, and we're, we're actually, we have a Kemp Forum on exchange rates and the dollar. Um, and it's something that we're trying to facilitate. We've had one event on this issue. It was huge, by the way. So, so, so even if we don't go back to a gold standard, we need, we need to do something about the Fed and the monetary policy. Yeah, I mean, back in the 80s. Uh, in Treasury. You, you had the, uh, the Par what was it, the Paris Accord? The Louvre, the Louvre Accord. Accord. Yeah. Um, you had the Louvre Accord. Uh, you had these uh, this stabilizing of exchange rates. Um, so... We need to get a sound Wait, dollar. You didn't have the stabilizer of exchange rates. We had stable exchange rates. Okay, you don't stay, you, you want, when you're driving, uh, money is just a bridge between two people doing business. You want a solid, reliable bridge. You don't Correct. want a floating bridge or a sinking bridge or a kind of semi-stable bridge. Right. You want a rock-solid bridge, and that's what our money needs to be. That's if what we our are money needs to flourish. be. And it's the same principle, what you were talking about with the IRS. We need a stable tax code that people understand um, and they, they know what to expect. And business says, okay, hey, we're going to bring that money back in. Um, so certainly we, we do need to get money back in from uh, overseas. Well, that's, yeah, that's that's a point that means made not only with taxes, but with regulation. It's not the, the regulation per se. It's the fact they change every three weeks. Right. Yes, but also, look, the, the Republican Party loves deregulation and god bless them but it's not an orphan issue a good good money a good dollar a dollar as good as gold however you get there is the orphan issue okay there's plenty of people out there avidly deregulating and i say go to it kids okay and there's a whole bunch of people who don't well, there are a lot of people out there talking about it but there's not many people who are actually doing it well at least they're talking about it okay, okay. and there's a lot of people out there i God bless you. We're the victims of our own success on the war, on the tax war. We basically won that. Could it be better? Yes. Should it be better? Yes. Do I support it being better? Yes. But the orphan issue is the integrity of the dollar. Okay, that sounds like a final word. <laughs> no, Jimmy gets the last Jimmy word. Jimmy does get the final word, Ralph. You're, you, well, you, Bill, I, I just appreciate your, your passion for common ground and human flourishing because that's what our founders intended. We need intended. to get there. They, they wanted this place. That's what I mean. Yeah, go ahead. Th this place to be a an island in the world um, where people could come and there was a common ground, universal rights that come from nature's creator. 
and that yeah. this was a level playing field. So our policy should follow that guiding star, right? And the American idea uh, is, is about maximizing human flourishing. Um, it's not just for Americans, it's for all people. That's who we have to be. We need simple, limited government that people can understand, and we have to pursue justice for all. We have to care about everybody. And I think one of my dad's lasting impacts on me and what we're trying to do at the foundation is help people see how important it is to go after the lost sheep and care for them, bring them in, uh, but make sure that they have an opportunity not to be taken care of, but to earn their own success. Your dad was not only a great uh, statesman, he was a great father. I feel like his spirit's sitting right here in the room with us. And I well, thanks. It's I, great. He was a great father, and I'm, I'm very fortunate. How do we find out more about uh, the uh, Kemp Foundation? So we're at jackkempfoundation.org, um, and uh, we've got a, a book called The American Idea Renewed. Uh, that it's a collection of my dad's best speeches and includes our Kemp Forum uh, on the American Idea at Lincoln Cottage. We have a rapporteur's report on that. Um, and then some other essays from uh, friends of the foundation. Uh, you can find that on our website. Um, and then my dad's uh, books are, you know, I'm sure you can get them on eBay or wherever, uh, the American Renaissance and the American Idea. I think they're still uh, still on Amazon. <laughs> Bill? Ralph, where, where can we I, find you? I, I, Google.com, Ralph Benko. <laughs> <laughs> and I've published something like a million words over the last five years at Forbes.com, at thegoldstandardnow.org, at national... But it sounds like if we really wanted to drill in on your idea, it's the gold standard that people ought to be uh, taking a fresh look at. I, I, I'm, passionate about, I'm passionate about the gold standard. I'm passionate about the Centennial Monetary Commission, which was just passed by the House and is pending in the, pending in the Senate, to look at all the different ways we can get to it. Where would we and, find out about the Centennial Mon Monetary Commission? Uh, you would go to Google and <laughs> you would uh, Google uh, congress.gov HR10 and then you would look at section 1011 and you would read a whole section about the Centennial Monetary Commission. But just take it for, say, save yourself a lot of wonk work, take it from me and say, I think I'd like to call my Congress, my senator, since it's through Congress, and tell him what a great thing I think uh, uh, the Centennial Monetary Commission is. Or what a terrible thing if that's what they think. But I, okay. I, this is this is it comes down to humanity. Okay, policy comes from brains, heart, and courage. And on this day, Bill, I would like to salute you and raise a toast to the memory of Jack Kemp and to Jack Kemp. A toast to Jack Kemp and human flourishing. There we go. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks, guys. We'll have you back soon. Thanks, Conti Bill. To be continued. Great to be with you. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe to Common Ground with Bill Walton on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you. Earn a competitive wage and start as soon as seven days. No resume or experience required. Health and safety are a top priority with all of our roles and sites, and Amazon is taking precautions in our buildings to keep people healthy. Go to Amazon.com slash apply. That's Amazon.com slash apply. Amazon is an equal opportunity employer.